Welcome back, guys. It's Double Stack F1 Christmas Edition. Um, I'm here with Shah. We are finally going to dive into the season, as promised a couple weeks ago. Uh, we held it as long as possible because we've been busy, and I'm sure you are. But today, we're going to be with you uh, for a quite longer episode, I would assume. To kind of look at every driver, every every team, uh, the pairings, how they perform, and uh, you know what we're going to, what the be their best race were, and what we're hoping they can achieve next year. Uh, Sha, how you been over the last couple of weeks? Are you going through withdrawals yet? Uh, not yet. Doing good. Uh, haven't been going to any postseason uh, withdrawals yet. Most yeah, of these yeah. uh, motorsport shows and motorsport movies have been uh, keeping me uh, engaged, I would say. Yeah. What is the weirdest thing you've watched so far? Uh, I don't know. I've just been watching all the old movies. I watched Rush maybe two times already <laughs> in the last <laughs> two weeks. That's like a background <laughs> show that I sometimes put it on. Mm -hmm. So I've watched that. Uh, the Braun GP, there are a few other Try to survive nice. a few clips and hear random episodes that okay. you can display to Netflix. Mm -hmm. I've done that. Looking forward to the new Ferrari movie just to see what's going on and what, what the movie is about. I heard some nice yeah. things about that. Uh, I'm actually going to watch it on Christmas Day. That's my little Christmas present to myself. I'm holding till the last minute to watch a matinee uh, Ferrari. Uh, but yeah, you're welcome to join me if you're, you're not doing anything. Uh, it's my yeah, invite to you. Just go yeah. watch Ferrari. Um, great way to, to to celebrate Christmas. Anyways, yeah. Uh, on my end, what have I been doing? I've been watching like really, really old classics. Uh, classic races. Watched '94 Adelaide. Uh, watched watching that '88 season just to see that MP44 just destroy the field. Uh, rewatching like old races, the the season from the start. I watched Brazil, then we moved to Monaco, then we moved to, I think they went to Mexico, and then the the they're in Canada. So just following along on that season on F1 TV, and uh, yeah, just trying to see kind of the dynamic between Prost and Senna and and Nigel Mansell and Derek Warwick and you know the whole battle. Uh, Gerhard Berger was also close there yeah. he usually was putting right behind them um he was okay with you know being second because he just didn't have pace really so far it was similar to what we saw in 2023 but just wanted to see how refresh my mind how this whole thing went down in 88 i was probably just one year old uh I, maybe i wasn't even one year old yet i was just like a toddler like crawling around but how about you how old were you at that time maybe like zero minus ten yeah. Minus 10, maybe. Yeah, minus yeah. 10. 88. Uh, it's minus 10 years. Oh, <laughs> uh, but no, no. And, so classic. Yeah. You, you know what? I don't think my mom was married yet in 88. So. <laughs> classic. All right. Let's uh, give you one second here, okay? Okay. Uh, let's dive in then uh, with the first team. It is. This is Red Bull Racing. Max Verstappen versus Checo Perez. Uh, yeah, man, Max. Before we go on, twenty twenty three, the challenge season. Uh, we've seen a pure domination from one team, one driver. It's like man and machine come together. Max Verstappen completed the season with extraordinary stats and records. Uh, we. He clinched his third world championship. Uh, Red Bull, their constructors. Uh, Red Bull finishing 1-2 in a really long time in the drivers. That was something that they were hoping for. It's like they had a clean slate all this, all the entire 2023 year. But it was a good year to, uh, in terms of uh, domination. And it was a great year for Red Bull. And then I'm excited for how 2024 is going to pan out. In terms of more domination or in terms of uh, can people, can anybody catch up? Oh, yeah, we'll dive into that. Uh, there, are, there are a few teams that could catch up. But at the same time, the 2023 season has given Red Bull a massive advantage. 
uh, while all the other teams were kind of back foot. We came in with a dominant car and with little to no rule changes for 2024. Uh, they, they were already working on their 2024 car early into the 2023 season, but other teams were still trying to get up with their current car to the Red Bull 23. So it's like some teams might be on the back foot, but we might be a slightly closer contention for rents and for qualifying. Ferrari was promising second half. Yep, but we'll get dive into those as we get in. Uh, that's the overall summary of the 2023 season. Max Verstappen three-time World Championship. Echo Perez P2 in the World Championship. That's his first time ever finishing there. Red Bull 1-2 in drivers. Red Bull Pleats in the Constructors. Uh, Red Bull's Q domination for 2023. Absolutely. Uh, like pure domination uh, by Red Bull. I would say pure domination by Max Verstappen, really. Uh, he scored 575 points by himself. Uh, Checo Perez, 285 points. Finished 20 races ahead of Checo Perez. Um, won, I believe, 19 of them. Um, he won 19, right? He lost one. To, uh, to to Carlos Sainz. Uh, Checo Perez won two races, and those two races were obviously the two races he finished ahead of Max Verstappen. In terms of quality, similar stats. Uh, Max beat him 20-2. to two. Uh, Fantastic work there. Uh, like, wins 19-2. Podiums, 21 times on the podium for Max versus 9 for Checo. Um, Checo needs to step up next year. Uh, in terms of DNF, Checo DNF twice this season. Um, so if Checo can can step up and score more points next year, it, and Max continues doing Max stuff as he did in twenty twenty three, I think they're they're in a great position to kind of secure the constructors again next year uh, if we have a similar setup. But yeah, in terms of Checo. Um, He's on a hot seat. There's been a lot of talks throughout the season about his performance. I think it kind of got better in the in the back end, and I think he. I hope he uses that momentum going into 24 um, to kind of silence any doubt from any potential candidate to his seat. And I know there's a few of few people out there eyeing it. Uh, rumor has it Lewis was also eyeing it. So uh, it's a lot out there. That's just. That's me throwing some controversy. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, yeah your take no. on the on Checo and Max there. Uh pure it was it was a pounder. Like, let's not put it, let's not sugarcoat this. He got pounded. These stats are just they're they're similar to something we talk about with Stroll and maybe Albon versus uh Logan, but this was a complete destruction of a teammate. The numbers, in terms of numbers. Yes, in terms of numbers, yes. In terms of on track, too, it was more or less Max was clearly the better driver of the two with the better car. I mean, when you do see Checo, the two wins that came in were early on in the season. Yep. Uh, Checo, this is the closest he's ever been to. Uh, the first four races of the 2023 season was where he was closest uh, in terms of qualifying and race pace to Max. And... In the year 2021 or 2022, this concept, this car was slightly favoring Checo earlier into the season. Max was struggling with the setup. If you take a look back into all his radios and all the race reviews, you could see that Max was struggling with a few setups here and there with the car itself. And Checo was trying to, was uh, clearly there on the balance. But once the car, uh, once Max understood the performance of the car and how he could balance it and how he could take it over the edge. That's when Checo lost all the ground or the footing that he set up with Max. And then Max just blistered past him with a ton of points. Clearly, the better driver, Max, is a generational talent. Can't uh, say anything against that. Uh, Checo Perez, he could have done much better uh, with given the car he had. He had the most dominant car on the field. Uh, he didn't need to struggle during the second half of the season to secure that veto spot uh, in the Drivers' Championship. So maybe next year, if he could focus more on 
getting more points, trying to keep his head out of those incidents that he had in the middle four or five races the season and keep it clean. Try to understand it. I'm, I, uh, that's more likely what the goal would be for 2024. And in terms of other external drivers eyeing his seat, the entire 2024, most of the drivers' contracts are expiring in 2024. So it's going to be a good uh, Russian relay kind of thing where one, one, one person is going to trigger it. Or it's like a domino effect. One person's move is going to trigger the entire uh, driver's market and it'll throw it into chaos. I'm pretty sure this would be more chaotic than what we had in 2022 with the Alonso, Sebastian Vettel retirement and Oscar Piastri. Uh, but 2024 is going to be interesting in terms of driver's market. But for Checo Perez, yes, he has few people eyeing his seat. But I still do fully believe that Checo Perez is the better fit for that second seat in Red Bull or any other two people that might be in there. So... We'll dive into that. Why is that, though? Why do you think Checo is the better fit? When you look at a guy like, uh, let's say, Ricardo is a top target there. You have uh, Lando yeah. Norris. That's also a, a potential target there. That could that could be a good fit for that seat. You, you talk about guys like, even if I go a long shot and say Yuki Tsunoda for a year as a placeholder, if anything, uh or just bring in, I don't know, there's uh, Fernando Alonso. You know, he's talking about wanting to to, to work with uh, uh, Adrian Newey. I'm just casting a wide net yeah. here. Uh, but, yeah, well, what makes Checo the absolute best number two driver in your perspective for, for that Red Bull seat? I mean, Red Bull would always want a number two driver. Uh, I mean, the team is completely uh, surrounded around Woodstappen, or more like Woodstappen is the fastest driver there. Any driver would want to challenge Stappen, yes, but at another team, maybe both of them going away from Red Bull kind of thing. Uh, it is going to be a difficult ask for, let's say, Landon Artis. Uh, pretty sure Red Bull has been waiting to coach him for quite a long time into the second seat of Red Bull. But at the same time, he knows the risks that come with uh, and the pressure. He can keep up with it, yes. Uh, every Formula 1 driver wants to win the championship. Every Formula 1 driver wants to win it with his own team. I think he's molding McLaren into his own team. But besides that, I think for now, I'm only considering the three people for the Red Bull second seat. That would be Yuki Sonoda. You have Daniel Ricciardo. And Checo Perez is already in there. If Checo were to keep his seat for the entirety of 2024, the data would support it and would back it. Clearly, we can tell that Checo was faster in the simulator over Yuki and Sonata, over Yuki Sonata and Daniel Ricciardo. That's why he got to keep the seat, even despite his on-track mistakes. If, let's say, the other two drivers are faster than him, then they would promote him. But I would, I don't want to see Yuki get played in this whole bit and end up losing big time because he has ties with Honda, so he can only move up so much. So it's more or less between Daniel Ricciardo and Jaco Perez. And if Daniel Ricciardo shows any signs of pace in the simulator that says that he is faster than Perez, then he could get the jump. But if he's not, I don't see Red Bull kind of putting him in. Because it's second seed and given how the sponsorship also plays a major role, uh, Checo brings in the entire sponsorship. He brings in a massive amount of sponsorship for Red Bull. And the entire Mexican industry is backing Checo for that seat. And then he, he brings in good money to the team. Uh, Marketability-wise, Daniel Ricciardo is a Checo Perez would seem more or less similar. Uh, in terms of how much money they can bring in, you don't have much financial backing for Daniel Ricciardo, but his fan base is big. And for Checo Perez, you have huge financial base backing and a decent chunk of fan base too. And yeah, it's loyalists. Yeah, oh, yeah. It does. It does. It is clear. Checo has a very strong uh, and loyal uh, Latin American uh, fan base. That's that's that'll go through hell for him. Uh, <laughs> I've always been worried about the day he leaves Red Bull. <laughs> what happens to all those Red Bull gear uh, down in <laughs> down in Latin America? But I hope that day doesn't come. Uh, it's a uh, 
it's a fear of mine. But yeah, he's he is showing pace, and I and I do hope for any driver that uh, that's going through a rough patch that they can kind of like clear it out and and get back to a, a performing level where they can uh, they can keep their job and 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 continue to perform at a high level, especially when they're in a great seat that comes with a lot of pressure racing against the top driver of the field uh, at the moment it's it's a huge challenge and uh Checo is doing well he's been in the team for three years now right so I think from 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 my from my recollection he's one of the guys that stuck around the longest for the longest right? and the Red Bull second seat yeah I was just gonna bring that out too so, from what I could remember he might be the guy who might have stuck in the second Red Bull seat for the longest and going into his fourth year yeah so so let's let's not forget that Checo is a fantastic driver. I learned I listened to a Beyond the Grid episode a couple of weeks ago with Bernie. Uh she used to be his performance engineer back at uh Force India. And, yep. Yeah, she was like Checo was bringing in the points. He was the guy we could count on. He was the guy that that we we could send on crazy strategies on like these crazy drives, even if he, he, he doesn't qualify well or we don't qualify the car well, we know that Checo will go in the race and will perform and bring us the point. So, and it was ultimately bad luck that he lost his seat back then, but ultimately he got a great seat and he's beyond the pressure. He's holding up really well and, and he's still, he's doing his part. He did his part of the contract, bagging in one, two in the championship. And I think he should, Get some rest, enjoy the holidays with the family, re-energize, um, and uh, come back swinging harder next year. One thing I wanted to touch on while we're with Red Bull is the importance of driving outside of Formula One, driving other cars, driving other type of racing, and kind of the the it's not a direct but an indirect advantage it gives uh, the drivers that participate in that. Stuff like sim racing, stuff like going on track days, driving different type of cars during the winter break. There's this quick uh, interview between Fernando Alonso and and Max where they were talking about going out and driving GT cars uh, over the break. Uh, we all know Max does a lot of sim racing on top of uh, Formula One. Uh, he doesn't really, he doesn't have kids to say. He has P, uh, but you know, that, that hangs out with him, um, that gives him a lot more time to kind of focus on stuff like sim racing and going out and racing and not spending necessarily time with friends and family, uh, or if it's just absolute focus in, in, in terms of wanting to drive all the time. Where do you think that that plays an advantage in terms of like adaptability and, and uh, <laughs> even even during hard times you're able to, to be at, at a top level respective this do you think there is some sort of advantage max is max gains from all his extracurricular driving activities at, above checo uh i mean there, there is no specific study on that more or less it, that max uh is interested in experiencing all the cars all the drivers he keeps himself challenged every single time that's uh that's the kind of mentality he has. It's it's something that it's within one person kind of thing. And at the same time, uh, drivers use all sorts of uh, racing or all sorts of farms to keep them engaged and to keep them fit and to keep them on track so that they don't need to have a huge training curve during the preseason testing and all sort of stuff. And the... And the uh, Carding, I could tell. I mean, the carding is similar. To, I mean, the concepts of how a GT car you how you drive a GT car to how you drive a Formula One car are completely different on how the car behaves and stuff. So it's more or less they're doing it purely for fun, and uh, they do it because they want to do it. They want to get good at it and they want to adapt themselves. So it's more like honing their adaptability skills than just the Formula One driving skills. And every driver has a different way of. Uh, relaxing and different way of coping up with the ace. I want to see this done and how they could recharge and energize themselves and get back. Checo would like to spend time with his family. Max does that too, but at the same time, he's also engaged with his esports team doing simulator driving. Uh, I think he went to Japan a few weeks back 
for the Honda thank you event. And then he drove all sorts of cars there. So I reckon they all just, did that, right? The the entire yeah. Red Bull and Alphatari gang yep. did that with like the Moto GP guys and mm-hmm. other tours. So yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I'm always curious about like, you know, getting an edge in terms of competition. I've always been 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 interested in what people do outside of the track. Uh Formula One is just twenty races, right? And and each week it has three sessions maybe on average. Uh what are you driving outside of that really to, to I mean stay? I think I believe Formula One drivers go through enough amount of adrenaline and enough enough amount of uh, pressure for those twenty races within the calendar year. So I think this is the time where they find activities that they don't find mm. the same amount of adrenaline pressure and maybe relax just yeah. so that heart doesn't give up uh, when they hit thirty or forties kind of thing. Mm. But true. Uh, yeah, true. Uh, yeah, everybody I... has their own ways. Mm-hmm. Lois likes uh, skydiving 10 times a day. So, in terms just... of, uh, yeah, yeah I, I, I just switching topics. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. Uh, in terms of the best race for these two this year, what what was your highlight in terms of Checo, his best race of the season? I I think mine was uh, Jeddah. His performance to Jeddah was, 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 I think, top notch. He started on pole, right? And took it yep. to the end. Uh, it was more like a revenge from last year where he wasn't able to finish it. Uh, so, but now getting it done, I think that for me was a highlight. What, what was, what was it for you? It's oh yeah. Saying, uh, there is, uh, when you take a look back at this entire season, Saudi Arabia Jada was this race. Uh, I could also argue Baku though. Do you remember that Baku chase? Yeah. Sure. Baku yeah. chase. Yes. But this Jada, he was on pace. The entire weekend, he was out while outpacing Max Verstappen. Max was struggling with the setup, but uh, Checo straight into the weekend got his setup uh, done, got it right to the point, and then great qualifying from him, fending off the two Ferraris that qualified behind him. And then, Doug, I mean, he controlled the race and was really good, fend off Max Verstappen from winning the race, kind of thing. Yeah. So, and then, yeah, that was a really good race from Checo. I wish he kept that all through the season. I think the, those were the first two races that gave slightly uh, gave us a glimpse into what the year could have been in terms of how the, both the top two drivers from the top team could be fighting for the championship. We had that kind of hype going in for a few races after it kind of died out when uh, Max set his foot down and then kind of just went away with the points. Like, welcome to Miami. Yeah. Her play best race was Miami, and the Checo's worst race could also, was also <laughs> Miami. In terms of Max, where do you think he was just like, this is this is absolute Max right now. This is when you see Max at his greatest. For me, I would say it wasn't even a race instance because I think in a race, it was just a given I got to the conclusion that it was a given that he would win. Outside of Miami, where he came from out of nowhere and won, the one thing that I that I still have like a vivid image of was his qualifying in Monaco, that last lap in Monaco where Fernando Alonso, I believe, was slightly ahead of him in the first two sectors, and then he just blitz it in sector three. And puts it on pole. I think that for me was when I was like, these and Monaco, these guy, this car, this car, and this guy are connected. It was ominous to see what he just did there. Uh, yeah. To extract like three tenths in the last sector, I was like, okay, this is it. This is done. That's when I realized that the season was over. Really, yeah. But yeah, that was my best. That was my for for me my best memory of Max this year was was that Monaco quality. I mean, for me, the best memory in terms of Max was the post-race celebration in Miami. Uh, and by that time, before coming into the Miami weekend, we had all silent narrators saying that uh, is Max would step in fast only because of the car. Checo Perez is uh, out there. He is also fighting for the championship. He's also there. Can he get a t- hands on his championship battle? Are we going to get an interesting year? All sorts of narratives in the media. And then come Miami race day, 
Max was cruising 30 seconds through the entire field. And after the celebration, he just stepped out of his car, pointed at the number one and at himself, and then that was it. Yeah. That was like, he, he found something in that Baku race. Uh, because at the end of the race, you could see that he was getting faster and faster. The chase, Jaco was trying to keep him behind, and Max was getting in. So I think the the way the Baku race was flat, and the track was flat, and so Max could have found something good with that setup during the race, practicing and practices. And Miami, he was he was able to find the right perfect setup on how the car behaves. And I think that was was Miami the first time where uh, Red Bull bought in some upgrades too. Uh, I think that they bring in a new front wing, I believe. So that kind of the understeer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That came into Max's play, and uh, Max Checo wasn't able to adjust to it as much as Max could. And ran away with the race in the post celebration, but Monaco qualifying yes, that was next level. Everybody thought it was going to be Alonso's uh, thing. He got the pole. He could breeze in for the win, uh, but. Yeah, Max said not today. And then I think you could. There were some interviews that came out that he do, he does every year with the uh, Dutch TV and the Dutch TV host. He did say that he was aware of uh, him being down on the first two sectors on his delta, and that he was like, all I could do is uh, pin it or gun it. And then he went with that mindset of just going in. It's like I'm either in the wall or I'm on the pole. There's nothing else. So he just went in with that and then just got through blistering and got the pole in the final, just fi- the final sector. And then the, the amount of analysis he's given in that inside set, it was the, the, the pool she can, the inside wall, when you slightly touch it, it kind of goes inside and helps you push your car off. What's he, he tried, he did that when you take a look at his outside lap, his uh, lap on board laps, you could see that he clips the wall on the inside, the first chicane, and then the wall, the, the whatever the with the barriers, they kind of move slightly and, and then flexes in, inwards, and then his car just gets the rotation, and then he goes in. So, yeah, I did read to that interview, and then I was like, this is fun. The amount of analysis that a driver, I am uh, taking a look at every single inch of that on the track. How could I use that? Advantage. Yeah. Good, great stuff. Uh, yeah, uh, what was uh, the lowest point you think of the season for these two? I think Checo for me, the lowest point where I was just like flabbergasted was in Austria. Just the track limit after track limit after track limit after track limit. He just couldn't get it right. He just couldn't. Like that for me was shocking. I was, I was just like, you can't keep making the same mistakes over and over and over. I think. Wasn't Austria the first race where uh, FIA put in the rule saying that white line for the entirety of the track is the track limit? But before that, like that, few corners was... had some, some specific set of guidelines. No, I believe from 21 or, 20, 21 or 22 onward, it was just the white line. It just stuck it out to the white line, but it was just... Here it was. It's easy to to wash out. Uh, coming out of turn ten, it's just so it's easy to wash out that the visibility you have from your from your from your camera from your seat, you don't you think you're on the line, but you you've already crossed it slightly. And they yeah, had really good camera. Yeah, yeah, it's really good camera. It's not like Austin turn six where. You, there's no camera there. You can just send it. Checo had a blast over there, but <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah. He he got cut out a few times. A few other people got cut out. So it's it's one of them. We're trying to see what solution to find for next year, uh, so that we don't have a repeat of of like Ocon getting one thousand place penalty at the end of the yeah. race. Uh, uh, but yeah, that for me was his down. Uh, I don't think I saw. I could. Anything in in terms of Max performance was like this is the worst of Max this year. I I would say his P five in Singapore, <laughs> probably the frustration he had that weekend over there maybe. But other than that, no, that is nothing to call out really for Max. It was just a lovely season, you know. Yep, I think for Max, the, his worst session could have been the Singapore qualifying. 
But that's about it because when you take a look at the race too, Singapore is a track where it's difficult for you to overtake. But in terms of race pace and race times and lap times, he was still slightly. He was getting up to there. He was getting to the leader's pace. He was faster, slightly faster. And we had this DRS train for the last five, was it five, six laps between the top four. So that's kind of what uh, put him off. Maybe if he was able to make some few overtakes early on in the race, he could have won the race. But our started higher in, in the qualifying order could have. So I think Singapore qualifying was could, was his worst session of 2023 yeah. because he was, you could clearly see the frustration and how he was unable to dial the car in and how he was disappointed that he wasn't able to top the qualifying. Uh, that's that. He displayed a lot of championship mentality despite him having a healthy lead in the championship. He didn't back down. He was always there saying, you know what, I want to be number one in all the sessions. I want to put my best out there. I want to get the top pole position. I want to get the fastest lap. I want to get the race win. A clear, clear weekend, a clean weekend, a pure dominance. So that's the kind of mentality that Max would have been displayed. And the Singapore qualifying was the only one that hurt him. And that was the only race where he wasn't on the podium. So that's why he was on the podium only 21 times of the 22 race. <laughs> yeah, and I think Max... From what I could say, the stats, Max's average race finish or average finishing position for the entirety of the year was around 1.8. Because the, that piece 5 hurt him. If not for that, he would have been 1.1 or 1.2 because he had two P2s. Yeah, it's incredible. Just just incredible. incredible. Simply lovely in terms of language. <laughs> Alrighty, uh, we spent a good decent thirty minutes on <laughs> Red Bull. It's simply lovely. This, I think, they were the talk of the season, really. Uh, yes, I reckon we we will probably power through the rest of the grid quite quickly. But the intention of this episode, which we'll likely have to like piecemeal into two or three episodes, uh, given the sheer amount of 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 uh, things we could cover for each team, uh, we want to do justice. To every single one of them with this with this talk, uh, uh, it is a proper recap that we're doing here. Um, and there's gonna be a two three segments to this. Uh, we'll probably cover one third of the grid today, and then have a couple other episodes by by before the end of the season on the the last two. Uh, let's move on to P two in the constructors. Uh, the Mercedes AMG Petronas F1 team headed by Lewis Hamilton and George Russell. So how did it play out here? Lewis scored 59 more points than uh, George Russell. George Russell, I think, didn't finish three out of three la three races. Um, Lewis, that was two for him. So there's a little bit of... Uh, background information there races ahead russell finished seven races ahead of uh lewis hamilton lewis finished 15 races ahead of him uh in terms of quality th they were matched even 11 11 uh if we only account for just the quality for the race uh not counting sprint wins they none of them got a win this season podiums lewis Outperforms him there, six to two. Uh, Lewis's best finish was P two. George's was P three. Uh, Lewis got a pole this season uh, in Hungary, and uh, George did not get a pole. His best great start was a, a P two. So really close. George ultimately at the back end of the season showed some really strong performance, catching up to Lewis. Uh, they they beat Ferrari just narrowly. Uh, but ultimately, I think they were much, much, they were limited by the car. Uh, the concept was just a follow-up from uh, season from the W13. Um, they tried to fix it a little bit in Monaco with a new aerodynamic uh, patchwork duct tape around the car, um, but that really didn't really give the result it, it helped them a little bit patch holes a little bit in terms of viral but 
it wasn't it, it, it wasn't an in-season fix like the McLaren were able to do. Um, they brought some upgrades in Austin that looked promising, but ultimately TBD or T TBC on ter in terms of the performance there because they kind of fell back in Brazil. I think that was a sprint issue. And really, the car really didn't gel well for Lewis, at least in the last race of the season. So lackluster performance overall by the team. Overall, Lewis uh, was able to kind of uh, set himself up for the one and a half, the, the, the slightly better driver this year uh, when he wasn't doing a lot of this, these test items that he did in 2022. But yeah, overall... Not much I can say about this team. They 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 pulled the best they could with with a car that really doesn't deserve to be second in the constructors. Really. Yep. I mean, if I am Mercedes today, I would be happy that we got second in the constructors. If I was Mercedes at the beginning of the season, I wouldn't have imagined that I would finish P two in the constructors. That was how Mercedes season started. Uh, both the driver was struggling early on into the season with the car. Uh, mid-season update like usual from last year uh, Mercedes is still trying to get their grip onto the new concepts uh, and the new rules and regulations haven't been able to nail it down both the drivers have always been telling last season and this season despite the change in concepts that the car is still unpredictable in a few corners and in few aspects that's what is making them drive slowly and especially under braking which is Something that is a very important for a Formula One car is you need your car to be under control under braking because you can't really that that kind of gives you the confidence boost. If you don't know how your car is going to behave, you're going to be braking early or you're not able to carry too much speed. Then, so and in terms of how Russell performed this year, slightly disappointed uh, that he wasn't able to give in a tough challenge for Lewis, given how last season was his first season with Mercedes and he was up there uh, and kind of giving Lewis a run for his money. But at the same time, the season tells us two stories. One is that Lewis Hamilton has still got what it takes uh, to contest uh, and to come out as a better driver over the weekend given he dials set up and George Russell has a lot of learning to do and then that he clearly has scope for where he can improve and not just uh, come in straight up, uh, first season beat your teammate and then there's nothing more uh, room for improvement kind of thing. So both the drivers are have improved and both the drivers have still so much left in it. I think they need a better car underneath them to uh, kind of go back into the fight to feel comfortable and confident and that's when we could clearly get a pure comparison of Lewis versus Russell because right now the car is unpredictable. The drivers are not confident, so one one weekend, one driver might have an upper hand. The other weekend, another driver might have an upper hand because basically kind of the pure pro the whole problem is more or less uh, in the car's concept and not at the driver's uh, fault kind of thing. So once Mercedes figures out the car's concept, I mean, I've been reading some articles here and there saying that they are pretty confident by their 2024 upgrades and then with their 2024 uh a concept, so we'll see how it goes on. I mean, it's it's only been two weeks since the season's ended. You've got a good uh, month and a half before our preseason testing in Bahrain, where technically the, you we just gotta read between the lines and listen closely to every single thing that the drivers say in the in the conferences, saying that how good of a car is it kind of thing. Because when you look back at the beginning of the season, and when you ask the drivers. How did you feel about the car? Do you think you have a good car? They would say too early to say. But at the end of the season, when you ask the drivers, how was the car and stuff, they were like, I knew it in the winter testing that the car was a shit. <laughs> and I couldn't really get the best out of it. So that's where you have to uh, really listen to what the drivers say. But Mercedes, yeah, overall, a disappointing season for them, uh, despite them finishing P2 in the constructor. Uh, they, they, I mean... When you do take a look at all the overall thing, their main flaws and the aerodynamics uh, of the car, rather than anything else, their power unit is top notch because you have other customer teams also up there using their power unit 
reliability wise uh, no complaints on that as well it's only the aerodynamic concept and the packing of the car around that power unit on how they could generate good downforce i think they did have slight issues of uh, porpoising this year that we did see somewhere around sandwood street a few times here and there uh, but besides that nothing much uh, hopefully Mercedes winter testing goes good and then they come back with a good car and give us a good fight. The only thing that for 2024 I could hope for Mercedes is they were slightly on the back foot for the entirety of this new regulations. So we cannot expect them to make major leaps and bounds for the next season. But at the same time, we would be saying it is not, I mean, we can't say it is impossible given how we had Aston Martin and McLaren perform this year and how Aston Martin came into the season from last season. There is a possibility of major leaps and bounds if you do find the right thing. Hopefully, Mercedes finds the right thing because when you take a look at the second half of the season, they were, they had their highs and lows. Brazil, where everybody was expecting them to perform good, uh, really didn't perform anywhere near what they expected to be and then they were on the lower half of the grid and then even in Abu Dhabi which is more or less a flat track uh, they were kind of struggling with their pace uh, Lewis Hamilton was also struggling we could tell that during the second half of the season or during the last part of the season the last three four races most of the teams kind of abandoned uh, their cars with whatever they have and then because of the budget cap don't want to invest much into it but Mercedes was slightly looking over those four or five races, given how they had the P2, P3 battle for constructors. Uh, let's see what 2024 has in uh, for us. Hopefully an exciting season. I expect Mercedes to be in and there about. And the concept of the car has changed. They've made some changes in their technical team aspect as well. And the back, you people. Yeah. Bringing back their... Uh, designer who designed the uh, W11 so we'll see what happens and how it goes on hopefully Mercedes gets a grip on the new regulations that's what set them in the back foot when you compare teams like Mercedes and Red Bull the two uh, tyrants of the sport right now Red Bull nailed the regulations and they've only been focusing on upward trajectory but Mercedes when they weren't able to nail the regulations were trying to figure out how they could fix it all while the other team was moving forward so they had that huge gap built up and that the same thing that's the same thing that we saw in 2023 as well just purely 2023 red bull with a dominant car mercedes with a struggling car red bull was only fine tuning their dominant car to be even more dominant while mercedes was trying to set up a baseline and focus on other issues so uh that, that, that put them in the back uh, back foot. They were kind of losing headway with Red Bull and Red Bull was just going by. So that's something that we would see in 2024 as well. Did not expect Mercedes to catch up to Red Bull early on in the season. Uh, but maybe midway through, if there's hope on how their season goes on. So fingers crossed for Mercedes to come back. It, it's good when we have multiple constructors uh, fighting uh Week in and week out. It doesn't matter who the race winner is. It could always be one race winner, but if it makes the races and qualifying sessions exciting, say that we've had four or five teams in the mix, anybody could have won. And we would have this whole uh, box of what-if scenarios. The more what-if scenarios we have, the more exciting it is. That we could tell that the race was more exciting rather than just one person running away, which is also good because that shows you that the boat thrives when one person purely focuses and dominates and then it also thrives when you have healthy competition yeah uh yeah you kind of summed it all up there i don't, I don't think anything i want to add here i think it makes what we do a little bit more fun to to kind of live in that great what if world of like this guy could win this guy this other guy could win this is the battle we will see tomorrow on track It'll make my Saturday sessions a little bit more fun, uh, analyzing, like, uh, testing data and having hypotheses and, and, and kind of trying to read through the data to see who has 
a race winning capability or ability on Sunday, I think that makes uh, that makes it fun really uh, to to watch F one. Uh, but yeah, no, I'm not gonna not going to last too long on Mercedes. We'll see what they deliver at preseason testing. That is the the first yardstick really in terms of what progress and what work was done over the winter break. Um, but yeah, we hope they they can get in the fight. That's all the fans and everybody in Formula One is 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 hoping that they come into the fight. That Ferrari comes into the fight. That McLaren comes into the fight. That many 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 other teams are able to compete for for a win uh, in twenty four. Uh, but in, outside of that, what was uh, top races uh, for for Lewis and and George? And what do you remember as like? The worst, the worst performance of the year. I can start, or if you want to, you can start on this one. You can go ahead. Uh, in terms of Lewis, uh, low point, I think, for me, uh, it was just, it was Brazil, I think. The frustration in Brazil with the tires just, God, the tires were nowhere. The, 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 I, I would say even for, for the two of them, really, was Brazil. The car was nowhere. Understanding what was happening, nobody could understand. You had you had a glimpse of it on, on, on Saturday with this friend, and it just exacerbated on, on Sunday where it was just a, an absolute downfall um, for the machinery. And I think that was more setup-related given the shortened sessions that we had. Uh, and then I think for the best moment, I for Lewis, I, it, it goes back to Hungary, really, right? It's that pole position in Hungary. Yeah. You just get down there, dragging, get dragging that car onto onto pole. Uh, wasn't expecting that. I think I had a tear in my eye when that happened. Uh, it's been a long time that we've seen Lewis anywhere mm-hmm. in 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 terms of uh, being close to the number one. In anything, so it was great to, to kind of see a guy that you that that has accomplished so much to being able to have a taste at it again. Um, for George Russell, I think I really really loved his performance in Vegas. Really, I think that for me was was a strong drive. Outside of just like clipping Max at some point, uh, I wasn't expecting the Mercedes to be at all competitive in in Vegas. Um, but for him to deliver such a drive, such a competitive drive in Vegas, uh, was 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 great. It was a, it was a new track for everybody. I think it was more of a leveling field. I know Lewis got caught up in some stuff in the in at the race start that kind of hindered his performance. But in terms of quality, he was outdone by George uh, in quality, uh, and uh, George ultimately bagged a ton of points in in that fight for P two in the constructors. In Vegas, so yeah, I think for me, Vegas was was a high point for for Russell. A bit tougher for Mercedes, right? To find highs and lows, right? It was just an uh, even year. Yeah, because they weren't in there, so they were trying to improve anything. Sometimes bad weekend, sometimes good weekend. But the overall thing that I was slightly disappointed about Mercedes was their straight line pace or lack of. Uh, uh, them struggling hugely, which again comes down to their aerodynamic efficiency rather than their engine, because Williams was termed to be one of the best cars down the straight. It also was forward by Mercedes, and uh, but Mercedes, the, the constructor team itself, was struggling given straight lines. So that was something that was slightly surprising to look into, and maybe we don't know what's happening in the back end of it, and then how. They go on about their race weekend and their engine concepts. That was one thing that caught me off guard for this year. And in terms of best for Lewis, yeah, Hungary qualifying. It was a very clean weekend. He was he was feeling confident and comfortable, and then that got him a much needed confidence boost for the team and for him. Well, for Russell, I would say Miami would have been was his highest point. Given how the temperatures were high and how most of the teams were slightly struggling and uh, him keeping it clean and uh, tussling with those Ferraris and coming out finishing P4 in Miami. For Russell, that's what I would say would be a good uh, 
class performance from him. That's what uh, we should be expecting from Russell throughout the 2024. A good clean weekend, uh, clean fights, and um, just performing to and maximizing the car's effect. Yeah. Um, Miami. Yeah, Miami was when he got, uh, he did well. Um, he was P4, right, in the end, Russell? Yep. Yeah? Okay. Yeah, no. Miami P4, yeah. Uh, Spain P3, that was his podium. And uh, Spain, so that was a good race too. But I was in Miami, given how it was tricky and the conditions were also slightly trickier. Uh, and he was able to keep his head cool and give the Ferraris a good fight. And uh, keep it there. Yes, sir. That was good. Uh, for George Russell, pretty interesting season. Do you want to move out to Ferrari? All right. And to wrap up this, like, third, this this first half of this triple header of uh, of our race, re- of our season recap, we'll talk about P3 and the constructors, uh, Ferrari. Uh, I think, in summary, I would call Ferrari... We did we, we did make progress in terms of reliability, uh, but ultimately the season was decided yet again on reliability. Uh, with Charles Leclerc not finishing 90% of five races, uh, Carlos Sainz not finishing uh, two out of 22 races, uh, 90% of those races, Leclerc still beat Sainz regardless of that. Uh, and that was 206 to 200 and 200 points. Races ahead, Leclerc 12 races ahead of Sainz at 10. Quali, it's Leclerc's playground really when it comes to quality, 15 to 7. Uh, Sainz did get a, a win, the only non Red Bull win of the season. Uh, bravissimo for that. Uh, podiums, six for Charles, a lot of it in the back end of the season. And, uh, yeah, uh, Carlos Sainz was on the podium three times. I think this 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 season for me, uh, I'm a big fan of Carlos Sainz, but in the back end, I did come to realize how great of a driver Charles Leclerc is, uh, and and how he could perform if the car is in that right window for him. Um, I know the car at the beginning of the year suffered massive oversteer moments and they had to like fakely correct that with some they engineered uh some understeer in the car uh which when they were able to figure out what what would cause in the car to kind of behave weirdly in the corners and they could remove that fake understeer that they induced and the car came back to leclerc uh in the back half of the season and he was able to to deliver some some fantastic performance at the end there. Uh, yeah, I think great season overall. Missed out on P th- P two in the constructors, but it did give us something to look forward to in the last couple races. Um, yeah, that was my take on Ferrari. Uh, hopefully, they're also changing the aerodynamic concept. I, from what I hear, going into next year. Uh, Hopefully they can manage tires a little bit better than they did this year, and uh, that could set them up for uh, uh, a lot of a lot of fights for for the win next year. So that's kind of my my view of Ferrari. Anything you wanna highlight here? Yeah, that's more or less uh, what I had too. Ferrari coming into the year, I expected them to be somewhere around P two, P three, finishing in. They came in with a good qualifying car. They had a great qualifying car beginning of the season. Always qualifying in the te- front end of the grid. Both the drivers, both of them feeling confident. Come race day, it was a different story. Both of them falling back. The tire wear was uh, not what was expected. It was kind of subpar when compared to other teams. And they were massively struggling with their rear tires and temperatures and overheating issues. They did bring in a few updates here and there. Didn't try, didn't work out much, but uh, they had, they were able to get some stability into that car, like you said, and how both the drivers, Carlos Sainz and Carl Leclerc, prefer two different styles of driving. Carl Leclerc very much prefers the over theory car, uh, and Carlos Sainz sometimes uh, prefers 
understeer over the oversteer a bit. But uh, overall, good performance for both the drivers. I think these two drivers were well. These two drivers might be the strongest pairing uh, we've, we've had in the, on the grid and over time. Given how both of them were performing good uh, week in, week out, bringing the team the valuable points, they've had their highs and lows. But at the same time, uh, they keep each other on toes to push each other. And uh, one driver sometimes has an upper hand on the week, the other driver, the other week. The Ferrari, good qualifying car, bad race car, or race pace in terms of uh, tire wear. Hopefully, they bring in some upgrades and make some changes to the concept. I think the entire concept would be around the rear wing and the rear suspension and how the packaging is and uh, how they could probably put those in so that their tires don't yeah. their over, their rear tires don't overheat. Uh, that's what I have for Ferrari. Not much. They're pretty basic uh, season, I would say, for them. Nothing too outstanding. Nothing too abnormal just the Singapore win which was great and the Miami and not the Italian GP uh, we can't forget that given how we had the fight between Carlos Sainz and Charles Leclerc between the two teammates some aggressive fighting which both of them respected each other uh, and put it what fans would say otherwise but I believe from what we can hear from the drivers they were both equally excited and were yeah. equally respected each other while on track battles. So they have the mutual respect between them, which helps them build the team and how they could push the team forward. A few team rooms for improvement for Ferrari would be their strategy as usual. But they've made some good progress, given how under uh, Fred Vasseur's leadership the first year as a team principal from Ferrari after the off-season drama we've had with Mattia Binotto. Uh, it's good. A great performance by the team gets gets his first win as a team principal. Scores P three in his first season as a constructors. Pushes the car and the drivers to perform and the team the entire team to the right pace. I think both the drivers are also happy in terms of how uh, the car is and how the team is in the background and yeah, how they've been putting it's in a their completely effort. different management style. Really, uh, one more of accountability and and. Yeah. And trust and and dialogue rather than than whatever we had last year. It's just management style, really. It's different, really. and you can see that in the demeanor of the drivers. Uh, I think they're well managed now. I, the fear for me at the start of the season was maybe that Leclerc would be favored a little bit more than Signs, but they I was proven wrong. Uh, he's he's doing Vassar's doing a fantastic job in terms of like managing the drivers making it fair for the drivers looking at what makes each driver fast and and kind of trying to build a package around that where they all feel welcome and and they can perform at a top level there's no real inner driver rivalry from what i could tell it's just on track even when they're battling you 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 highlighted the racing in Monza, they were a lot to fight. They were just go at it, boys. Just bring back the car in one piece if you can. Uh, but yeah, you know, science has had some great moments. Uh, Leclerc has had some great moment. And the demeanor was, yeah, this is for the team. This is not an individual thing. We're not winning. We're not fighting for a championship or anything. So we're in it together here. So it was it was good to see the dynamics around the team there. Uh, looking forward for preseason testing. Hopefully, can dial out that. Uh, tire issue that we've had all season, and uh, the car will be in a, in a greater position last year. In terms of low uh, for for each of these drivers, uh, I think the low for me was for Carlos Sainz was really Australia, where he got penalized for the last restart, uh, and just hear him on the radio wanting to have an opportunity. To talk to the marshals and not just be given that penalty to just destroyed his race although the lap didn't count uh that for me was 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 a touching piece he had other incidents when you look back at vegas not his fault but the rules just not flexible enough to to allow him to to walk away without getting a penalty um but then leclerc uh 
well, he he had a, a a few like he didn't finish five races really. So like reliability was the the reliability gods were really not in his favor this season. Um, and uh, so that that for me was kind of the low point there. And it's it's not really driver induced; it's more vehicle uh, issues. Uh, but high points, I would say, without a doubt, like you said, right? Like I agree a hundred percent with the signs. When in in um, Singapore was his high. For Leclerc, I think his drive in Vegas was out of this world. Um, if it wasn't for strategy and and um, safety cars, bad timing, uh, he could have he could have been in the challenge really for for the win there. I I, I thought for a second there that he would have that he would have that win, but just didn't work out uh, ultimately for him to get a win. But yeah, overall. Some 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 good stuff to look back at at Ferrari uh, and to 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 work towards next season and come back swinging again. Yep, uh, I agree. Similar, more or less the same. For finals, I would say this was could be the biggest race. Uh, well, one of his teammates was up there in the front, kind of battling and setting in fastest times and good pace. So he really wasn't there. And given how he was in an old engine because of the crash he had in pre-practice one, so that kind of puts him at an offset to not be his fault. But the entire weekend, it put him on the back foot and wasn't able to uh, maximize or capitalize on points uh, to push the team for P2 in terms of constructors. I think that's where the team kind of lost their P2 in constructor was in Vegas, where uh, given how science got the penalty, and how both the Mercedes kind of struggled and they finished P7, P8 in Vegas. Could have had better points for uh, Ferrari. Leclerc finished P3, was it, in Vegas? And Sainz in the big back of the grid. Yeah. So Sainz could have uh, been there if not for the crash and if not that for, for the penalty. Leclerc P2, Sainz P6. Yes. Yeah. Ahead of the Mercedes, though. Both Mercedes, yep. though. Still good, still good outcome there. Uh, yeah, it so. could have been double podium. I get it, the scenario. But for Leclerc, I would say yeah, Vegas was his best race. Fine, his best race is Singapore, uh, with a close second to Monza. He was really in up there in Monza weekend, fighting, uh, being the fastest driver between him and Leclerc and trying to get tasted victory for Ferrari at their home soil. But he gave his all in. For sure. Leclerc too, I would say Monza was also a good race for him, given how he was never confident uh, in the car and how he was kind of working with Carlos' setup uh, for the entirety of the weekend and come race day. He was there challenging Carlos uh, while he was in, on the best footing with the car and with the car set up. So Leclerc, Vegas, and Monza were his best races. Carlos Sainz's uh, best races could be, or were uh, Monza and Singapore for the race win. Leclerc's bad weekend, I don't really remember it, but he did have quite a few DNFs. Uh, but I think the, all of the DNFs were more or less hydraulic failure or some electronic control units. Uh, which is slightly good uh, for Ferrari and not the ICU or the ICE like they had last time. It's not the internal combustion or not the hybrid system, but just the electronics of uh, the packaging or the and the hydraulic system. So that is something that they could narrow down to get the reliability in. They might be a they might be it's just the packaging and the overall layout of how they package it uh, mm -hmm. kind of dictates the reliability. Yeah. Interesting things, progress being made at Ferrari. Uh, on that note, uh, any departing words for segment one of our recap? I know we have to come back and uh, touch on the next three guys in the next episode. Look out for McLaren, Aston, and Alpine in our next recap. Uh, but I think this is a good stopping point. We've uh, we've been in your ears for uh, a little over an hour now, so. Uh, we will take a step back and uh, uh, come back with some more interesting recap content 
in our next episode. Sha, anything you want to add before we peace out? Yeah, no, that's that's more or less it. Uh, get uh, debrief for the first top three teams. Excited for 2024. And we'll get back to you with the next three teams. Cheers. Bye. Bye.